If you may turn with me uh, to the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 11, uh, verse 1 to 13. That's the scripture reading for this morning. And the word goes like this. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place when he finished. One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our, us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight, and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food left. I suppose the one inside will say, don't bother me, the door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you the bread. I tell you, even those who will not get up and give you the bread will never enter it, but because of your faithless audacity, you will surely get up and give you a cup of milk. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Let's just pray. Father, this morning we come into your house to seek your presence. So Father, may you be present among us. No matter the weeks that we've had, no matter how up, the ups and downs that we're going through, God, you are constant through it all. So Lord, this morning we're here to meet with you, and we don't want to leave this place without experiencing your presence, God. So Holy Spirit, come and fill us, be in this space, and may we hear the voice of the Father today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so it's been quite a week, right? This week with all the weather and the rainbows and the showers and the rain that's happening and also the tornado that happened apparently, or torna- we had a tornado warning for those that didn't know. Uh, yesterday, uh, it was a meteorological phenomenon, <laughs> quite miraculous for us weather geeks out there. I was watching, I'm like, wow, like a water spout formed, a little tornado formed over the inlet, uh, over Howe Sound. And that doesn't really happen here in Vancouver. And that was definitely a first for me. Uh, so it's really been quite a crazy week. And maybe it's been something uh, for you uh, as well. And I was got a chance this week to, to meet a few friends that I haven't seen in quite a while. And since the pandemic, actually, before the pandemic. And I asked them, you know, how has it been for you? How has the pandemic been for you? Did you learn anything new, anything new that's happening uh, in, in your life? And my, one of my friends mentioned, it's like, well, nothing changed too much. I mean, pandemic's a pandemic, and I'm still the person that I was uh, going, uh, go, going into it. But I'm like, hey, you never know, because some people over the pandemic picked up some new skills, right? And after all, for you, some of you here, you learned something new over the pandemic. You picked up a new hobby. For me, I started running a bit more because... I couldn't go inside to the gyms or anything else, so outdoors it is, uh, running outdoors. So I started running quite a bit outside, but I heard from, you know, some, like, learned how to bake, and some learned how to cook, 
somehow to do a simple uh, car maintenance, car maintenance, and changing your engine oil and things like like that. Some people learn how to DJ uh, <laughs> over uh, the uh, the pandemic. Uh, some, and maybe not in our church, I don't think, but have learned to become jump rope champions. I heard. Uh, just picked up a new thing in, in, in my backyard, learned how to jump rope, and next thing you know, they became actually really good at it, and they became uh, jump rope champions. And over the pandemic, we have learned many different things and picked up different skills, and maybe you are one of them that's learned something new. I, I was also reading a different article this week uh, from the Harvard Business Review that spoke about learning and the things that we have learned uh, over uh, the pandemic. The article was written by Helen Pepper and Sarah Ellis, and they published this article a couple days ago, actually. It's called Make Learning a Part of Your Daily Routine. And they say, and I quote, uh, Our capacity for learning is becoming the currency we trade on in our careers. Where we, where, where we once went to work to learn to do a job, learning now is the job. That for us now in our, our day and age, that is about learning, unlearning, and relearning. And every single day, we're learning something new and growing ourselves. And they quote from people like Reed Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn, who shared that he looked for individuals who have an infinite learning curve, someone who is constantly constantly learning and learning quickly. Or Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, he echoed this, this importance and said, the learn-it-all will always be better than the know-it-all. The learn-it-all will always be better than the know-it-all. And we're in a series now called Meals with Jesus, where we're learning and seeing uh, how Jesus interacts with different people in society through a meal. And here today, the disciples, they ask Jesus this question. Uh, they ask Jesus to teach them something and to teach them how to pray. The disciples wanted to learn how to pray. They wanted to learn the secrets that Jesus had in his relationship with God the Father. And Jesus then shares a shortened version of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, not that the Lord needed prayer. That's not why we call it the Lord's Prayer. But the Lord taught us <laughs> how to pray in a template uh, for prayer. Then Jesus starts sharing a parable about a person uh, that was traveling into a town uh, to visit a friend. Uh, stopped by a friend's house and that friend didn't have any food. And he goes around asking someone else uh, for three loaves of bread. So this meal, instead of a meal that's provided uh, already... It, it this, this story centers around a lack of a meal for him, a lack of food that's uh, there. And through today's sermon and through today's passage, I'm really hoping that we'll see this, that prayer is the provision for every need. That prayer is the provision for every need. And as one a, a commentator and theologian says, that prayer is the provision for every need, but it's also the solution for every problem. That prayer is that provision for every need, that in everything that we need here in life and every day, that prayer is the starting point and also the ending point in which we experience and receive God's presence. After all, Jesus, he prayed often. He prayed a lot. He was a man of prayer. The verse starts off in this way. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So we see here that Jesus, he is a man of prayer. Our Lord was a man of prayer. He prayed before he got baptized in Luke chapter 3, verse 21. He prayed when he was about to choose the 12 disciples. In Luke 5, 16, he prayed before he chose them. 
He prayed when he asked the disciples to confess their prayer. Like, who, who am I? He prayed before asking them uh, to confess in Luke 9. And he also prayed before the transfiguration uh, in Luke 9, 29. And Jesus often, you see him in the scriptures, uh, sneaking off uh, to quiet places to pray on his own. Our Lord, he's a man of prayer, and his disciples saw this. And he says, they, they, ask, they say this, teach us to pray. Not only that, just as John taught his disciples to pray. That is John the Baptist, John the martyr, John who's the one who lost his life for the sake of the gospel. And what is fascinating about this comment here is that the disciples don't recognize John for any of that. They don't recognize John for his martyrdom. They don't recognize John for his powerful preaching or the ways that he lived against the culture. They recognize and remember John for his prayers, for being a man of of prayer. And this is fascinating to me, what the disciples asked to be taught and what they wanted to learn. This is the only time um, that's recorded for us in Scripture where we, we hear of what the disciples wanted to learn from Jesus directly. It wasn't to how to grow a mega church, a large church. It wasn't to how to fill the pews. It wasn't even to teach them how to preach or how to heal or perform miracles or do great to do great things. The one thing that's recorded for us, the disciples asking to be taught by Jesus is this, is to teach them how to pray. This is the only thing that we see the disciples yearning for. And we have to ask this question, why is that? Why is this the only thing that they ask Jesus? And I don't think when they're asking Jesus here is asking for a manual, right? Like, you know, Jesus, you know, give us a rundown. <laughs> like, give us a manual of how to pray, what it looks like to pray, or a prayer technique. Like, you know, like, do you fold your arms this way, Jesus? Like, you know, when you pray, do you kneel in a certain angle, you know, like, at a certain corner of the room? And, and nothing against you if you have a prayer closet and you do all those things. You do whatever you need to do in order to get close to God and to get in that place. But I think what Jesus is teaching them is really about the heart. The disciples are asking, Jesus, we see the way that you pray, and there's something different about that. We see the way that you pray, and we want to see and know and understand the secret behind your prayers, not in the way that you pray, but in the relationship you have with God in the way that you pray. Because you think about it this way. The disciples, they had access to the Torah, which is their Bible. They had access to the Word, and they had the manual, if it was simple enough to read the scripture and to learn everything in that way and not be taught and not to have someone mentor you and to walk beside you, then it would really be quite easy. It would really be quite simple. But no, they asked Jesus specifically, teach us, teach us how to pray. It's because they could see something was different with Jesus in the way that he prayed. They could see that something was different in the way of his relationship with, with God. And Jesus gives a little bit more here. He gives a little bit more than just teach them how they pray. He reveals something that doesn't just teach them how to pray, but what Jesus does here in the following verses is actually plant in them a desire to pray. I'm going to say that again. There's a difference. He doesn't just teach them how to pray. He actually gives them a desire, the importance, why it is that they want to pray even. So I, I'm just thinking about this, and I'm thinking about discipleship, and a lot of thoughts are going in my mind. It's a long passage. Uh, Emily, our worship leader, before in our prayer group, he's like, wow, you, you, know, you got quite a task <laughs> this morning. It's a quite a, a thick uh, passage here. 
But I was thinking about this in discipleship, and when people come up to us uh, as leaders or people around the church as Christians, and they ask you a certain question. And I think when people ask us about questions of the faith, and they have questions about what it means to be Christian or this part of the Bible, or what does God mean when he says this, uh, our answer shouldn't ever be whatever it says in the Bible. It, it shouldn't ever be go read your Bible and you'll find out all the answers or you go figure it out on your own. I, I think here Jesus teaches us something marvelous in that how he walks alongside of them. He doesn't shun them and push them away, but he does walk alongside them and, and teach them and explains to them and mentors them to explain how he experiences prayer and why prayer is so important for him and what he is seeking when he is praying. Because discipleship, as we learn from, from Jesus here, discipleship, it has never been about knowing the answers anyway. Discipleship and mentoring and teaching and leading people have been about pointing people to the one who knows the answers and leading them to that way. So for, for you, if you're a disciple maker, and which, by the way, if you call yourself a Christian, we're all disciple makers, and you feel like you don't have all the answers, I raise my hand in that as well. Our role isn't to have all the answers, but to lead people to God, for them to experience his presence, to, to lead them to the one who knows all things, and for them to speak. So Jesus teaches them how to pray, how to enter into this presence, not in a formulaic way, though he gives us some pointers, but a way to understand what it means to walk along and to understand a relationship with God. And he says this in verses 2 to 4. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Father, hallowed be your name. This speaks to the one who we are praying to. The one who we're praying to. This is, speaks to the one who we address. Speaking of God as Father, which appears again later, I believe, in verses 11 and 13, it speaks to this intimacy we have with God. This intimacy and this safety and this relationship that we have with God, that when we come to God, that it ought to be a place of safety and a place of refuge. And I admit, I, I acknowledge fully that maybe for some of us here, that our fathers here on earth have been anything but that, that they've been abusive, that they haven't been kind and loving, but we get pointed here to our Heavenly Father who is perfect, who is good, who is loving, whose arms are safe to be in. And after this, we understand who we pray to. We, we say and we pray this, that it's for His kingdom to come, for your kingdom to come. For the Father is the who of the prayer, and your kingdom come is the responsibility of the prayer, as one theologian puts it. That as we acknowledge God as Father, as His arms are safe, that as we're in that safe relationship, in that intimacy, it doesn't, it's not pray for my own will and my own desires to come, though we are to cry out to Him. That's later on. But it's to first to set in place that His kingdom come. That's the responsibility of our prayer as Christians, that we pray for God's kingdom to come in my life, in, 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 in all of Vancouver, and in, in our church, in all places that we go into. And I know I'm not doing the Lord's Prayer justice. Uh, we're probably in the future, we're going to do a whole series <laughs> on the Lord's Prayer. But I want, there's a parable right after this that Jesus explains our relationship with God. Because after we understand this, uh, the Father, who, how God is the Father and how His kingdom is to come, that's when we're to make our request. After we understand our relationship and our responsibility, that's when we bring our requests to God. 
to give us our daily bread. And as uh, Heidi in our community learning, she pointed out, hey, God was providing Israelites with manna, bread in the desert, every single day. Like, is there a connection? I'm like, yes. That's exactly it. God provides for us just like he did for the Israelites in the desert. Every single day when there was need, God provides for us every single day with the provision that we need. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Help us to forgive those who have sinned against us and lead us not into temptation. That, that, that is to say, as when we pray through God, we have this provision that we're provided not with only things for life, but we're provided with forgiveness. That our life with God is, is, is good, that he's forgiven us, that we can have this reconciliation and this path to God. And also provides us with a way out of our temptation in our darkest places, things that do not please God. He provides us with a way out. So here, in that really unjustified version of me going through the Lord's Prayer, Jesus launches off. Jesus launches off into this parable to explain what he means, to explain the heart of the Father and how prayer really is the provision that we need in the everyday Jesus continues by digging deep into the theme of provision through bread. We're going to see that time and time again. He uses a parable to explain this. I'm going to read from the ESV because there's a reason from that. It's because it, I believe, translates the Greek a little bit more accurately here. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Which, as I'm reading this, I'm like, how are they having this conversation anyway if he didn't get up? Like, is he yelling from his bedroom? <laughs> saying, I can't get up. I'm stuck in bed. I can't, you know, I can't come out to you. That's a funny image anyway. Uh, verse 8, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of, this is really important, because of his Impudence. I'm going to get back to who that his refers to. Because of his impudence, because of his shameless audacity, as the NIV translates it, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And it's, it's, it's interesting, this parable, because I've read it a few times, and it wasn't until this time, in reading through the different translations and understanding the language a little bit more, that I believe God has, has, more, uh, has, has a word for us today that's, that, that, that we haven't seen here before in the word. That this parable is commonly read from the perspective, from the person who is asking, right? That's often how I've preached this passage before, that it's from the angle of the person going to ask, right, for the three loaves of bread because he has a friend who's come to ask him for bread and he doesn't have any. So he goes to the person, his other friend, and asks, do you have three loaves for me? And often this passage is preached from that angle. But for today... And I believe this is accurate in the way that we read it. What if we look at it not from the person that's asking, but from the person that's being asked? As a pa pastor and theologian, Daryl Johnson, who's right in our city, he says this, this has less to do with the person asking and more to do with the person being asked. That there's something for us to learn from the person who opens the door. So it's not so much about our asking, it's actually about the person who's answering. So in, in NIV, as I pointed out before, we read how even though the friend doesn't want to, we read in the NIV, it's because of 
your shameless audacity, right? So me, as the asker, as the one that's asking for the three loaves, like because of my shameless audacity, because I am shameless in the way that I'm living, that I can go and ask. And though that may be true, we are to shamelessly go and ask God. And we are to shamelessly have this boldness to approach God in his uh, in his in his awesomeness and his glory, that's definitely aspects of that. I think this passage reveals something else more about God Himself, the person that we're asking. Often, this parable can be interpreted as we need to be like the person who shamelessly asks. But you see, the word here for shameless, audacity, or here translated it as impudence, it could also be better translated as shamelessness. Shamelessness, a person that does not experience shame. And what's fascinating here is that it's not our shamelessness, but in the Greek, it actually attributes to the person being asked. It's his shamelessness. In verse 8, I will point it out here. We read it for us again. I tell you that he, right, he meaning the person that's being asked, will not get up and give, uh, and he will not give his, him, which is the person being asked, I know it's a little bit confusing, but follow along with me, <laughs> anything, because what? He is his friend. Who's he there? He is the person being asked. Yet because of his impudence, his, it refers to the person being asked again, not the person that's asking. And that's really, really, really important for us this morning. Why? It's because the friend in this passage, in this parable, because of his shamelessness, he is going to get up and give the person outside the bread. It's because of the person being asked and how that person cannot and does not want to experience shame that that person gets up and gives the bread. Not because of the person asking, but because of the person that is answering. Why is this important? See, in a culture of hospitality and shame, it's just before this last week, we preached on the passage of Mary and Martha, the hospitality of Martha, right? We just launched, uh, we were talking about that and how, well, how important it is to sit at the feet of Jesus. But we're also commended Martha for her hospitality in terms of her heart for God and how when Jesus showed up in town, she opened the door. That's the culture of the day. There's this culture of hospitality, but there's also a culture of shame, which many of us have experienced before. And if this person was approached by a traveler, they're expecting your fridge to be fully stocked, that it was shameful for the host to not have any food. So if I show up to your house, I won't, or I'll text you uh, before I do, I'll call you before I do, and you didn't have any food, and that day and day, that, there was a culture here where they can't say no, right? It's, it's the culture that you would invite them and that is expected that there will be food. And if you don't have food for me, it's a shame. It's a shamefulness to that household. So this person was experiencing shame. A person visited his house. He didn't have any loaves of bread. He didn't have any food to give. So this person was experiencing shame. So he goes to his other friend in the village and kind of passes that on to him. <laughs> I, I don't have any bread to give my friend. So our village here is looking really bad. Our village is experiencing shame here because we didn't welcome a traveler. Do you have any bread? And it's because of the person being asked, because of his shamelessness, because of him not wanting to experience shame, 
he will get up, even though he has all these excuses there, and give the bread to his friends. And I think this, this shame culture, just as I'm talking about that, this shame culture is very real. It plays out in very real ways in our, in our, our time here today. Uh, during, the last, uh, during the first six months of the pandemic, I, I, it was, a, I think one, well, I don't, not I think, it was the, one of the lowest points in my ministry. There was a lot of transition. I didn't know what was going on. The church was changing, and we went, all went online. I missed seeing all of you guys. Uh, and think, so many things were, were shifting. I started questioning, am I supposed to be here? How come some churches can pivot so quickly and do all these things so quickly and so well, and, and I'm struggling, and, and I'm struggling with, 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 with even leading the people that we have, and I felt like we weren't taking care of the people here. And it was during that time that I was asked the question, in a time when everyone was locked down and we're all you know, stuck inside, I was asked the question, um, who in the city do I sense can speak into my life? Like, who in the city do you think can mentor you, can speak into you? And I have many people that do speak and do mentor me, but not, nothing in a formal setting for quite some time now. Who is it in the city that I can, uh, that do I think can speak into my life? And there was this one person, as Jess and I, uh, Jess asked me that question as well, and that's, I was talking with her, and, and I mentioned the name, and this person that came to mind is a prominent pastor in the city. And I'm like, I don't think he knows who I am. I don't think he really cares who I am. And I, I, I felt even ashamed to ask. Right? I, I felt ashamed to ask. Maybe I'm not worthy. I'm scared of the rejection. Maybe the answer would be no. I'm like, hey, do you want to meet for coffee? Do you want to have a chat? Uh, I know you're busy, so I don't want to put shame on him. That it, it makes him feel like he's a bad person for saying no to me. <laughs> it's this weird kind of shame dynamic uh, go, go, going on there. But what was fascinating in, in that asking and in my conversation, he replied, he replied my email pretty quickly. Because I just asked him this question, like, I know you're busy, and I know uh, you probably don't have time for coffee, so what books are you reading? That was my you know, cowardly way of <laughs> kind of asking what he's doing, but being in relationship, but not really. And he replied pretty quickly. He's like, hey, since you're asking uh, what book I'm reading and what book we recommend, I'll give you one. But I'll give you one more uh, in case you finish that first. And then the next thing that he asked me was quite profound for me. He said, hey, Doug, how, ministry is hard right now. How are you doing? And I did not expect that question coming from him. And we exchanged a few more emails. And finally, he finally asked the question. He's like, hey, Doug, do you want to meet up? And this, 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 e this first email exchange was a, couple, was, a, was a month ago, or so ago. And I'm meeting up with him this week. And it's interesting that for me, it's the shame of me thinking of the shame I'm putting on other people or the shame that I'm putting on myself that stops me from experiencing the things that God has and the doors that he is opening and the things that he is doing in my life. But here, it's true that the person asking is shameless in asking the person for bread. But the focus is on the shamelessness of the person that's being asked. Just like how I didn't expect the answer from this pastor that I spoke to, in the same way here, this person gives an answer, not for the sake of the shame of the person that he's speaking to, but for his own shame, because he does not want to experience this Shame, And I was thinking, if this pastor is willing to open the door, how much more is God willing? If in this parable, if this friend and neighbor who doesn't want to experience shamelessness can meet the person's needs, how much more can God our Father meet our needs? 
It means that we are looking for. You see, ultimately, who is the one being asked here? And I think many of us are starting to guess. The person being asked here is, is God. Is God himself. See, God will never bring shame. God is the shameless one. God will never bring shame upon his own name. Because God is the one who he says he is. He is Yahweh. He is Yahweh. He is the one who he says he is. And, and as I mentioned before uh, in our community learning class, just before this, we've been going through the book of Exodus. And we've been learning how God time and time again is doing these things and saving Israel. Yes, it is for the good of Israel. It, yes, it is for the sake of the covenant with Israel. But many times we read that it is for his glory. He does these things for the sake of his own glory. And we, I read from Exodus 14, 4, the Israelites, don't worry about what the Egyptians are going to do. Why? Because I... God will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, that this is who God is. He is the shameless one, the one that does not want to and cannot experience shame. So he answers and he fulfills and he does what only he can do because he cannot shame his own name. Because God is glorious, God is patient, and he's kind, he's infinite, and he's holy. God is self-sufficient, and God never changes. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and he's everywhere. God is perfectly wise, and he is just, and he is good, and God is gracious, and he is merciful. But you know what? God is faithful, and God is for us. That's what we ought to see in the parable here. This is what we ought to see, not in our asking, because often I am shameful in my asking. I am weak in myself. I am shameful in the way that I go about. But because of God's shamelessness, we can trust in who he is. You see, just like how the friend would not cause shame to his own name for not giving out bread, God will never cause shame to his own name by not providing for his people. God always provides for his people because God is in the business of glory and what's the opposite of glory it's shame God only glorifies his own name there is no shame so God will also never bring us to shame if we seek him because we were created to bring him glory the God's saying I'm not going to leave you on the wayside because you reflect my name. My name is at stake here, guys. When you walk out of this building and you walk into your families, your schools, your relationships, it is my name at stake, not Doug's name. It is my name, as God is saying. As I'm walking out, like Doug is a Christian, so as I walk out, there's that weight of the name that we carry. And God is saying, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you to yourself. I will be with you to always, to the very end of the age. And that's why he says this in verse 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And because of this, because of God's shamelessness, because how God honors and glorifies his own name, we can ask, seek, and knock, and in the Greek, it's the present tense, which means it's a continual action. It's not only at midnight, in the most desperate of times, but it's every day. It happens every day, all the time. 
In verse 10, we read that for those who ask and seek and knock, they will, what, receive, find, and open. And that, not a secret, is also in the present tense, which means what? It is also continuously happening. That every single day, every moment when we're asking, seeking, and knocking, we will also be receiving, finding, and opening. That every single day, there's that action that continues on and on and on. But I haven't addressed this yet as I'm coming to the end. Ask, seek, and knock at the door for what? Doug, I don't understand your big idea. Why is provision the need? Why is prayer the provision for every need? I don't understand. How can prayer be the solution to every problem? If I ask, seek, and knock, what am I looking for? What does any of this have to do with prayer and provision? You see, this bread that you see throughout this passage here, this bread that's being talked about in this passage, I believe it's speaking about God's presence. It's speaking about God himself being present among his people, of how God provides, and God is present in himself by providing himself. You see, this bread that's being talked about is about his presence. It's just like how the friend will answer the door and give the person outside as much as they need. When we ask and seek and knock at the door of heaven, at God's house, he'll always open the door. He'll always give himself as much as we need. Every single day, always, without fail. That's why in verse 11, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then... Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I know I never said this in the beginning, but I'm titling the sermon, uh, No Snakes and Scorpions Here. (laughs) When you approach God, he only has good things for you. When you approach God, he only has himself to give to you, which is only good things. And Jesus is speaking about what we can expect when we come before God. What we can expect every single time when we come in prayer, when we go to God. Because what is this bread again? It's his presence. And what is this good gift? What is it that we're receiving every time we ask, seek, and knock? It's not a snake. It's not a scorpion. It's only good things. But we see this in verse 13 here. It's what? If you then, that you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will what? Your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit. What, God? I was talking about bread the whole time. I was talking about receiving the fish. I was talking about receiving that egg, whatever else it is. But all of a sudden, Jesus turns it all around and talks about God will give you his Holy Spirit for those who ask. Firstly, this speaks to the Trinity, how Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all mentioned in one passage. We get glimpses of Trinitarian theology that we get. But here, we understand that every time we pray and we seek, we're to seek God himself, and he never fails to show up. Guys, that's good news. Every time we pray, every time we speak, God gives us the Holy Spirit, his presence, the comforter, the counselor, the one that's with us always. That Every single time we pray, every time we ask to seek and knock, God provides himself and all of himself as much as we need whenever it is that we need it. 
Prayer is the provision for every need and solution for every problem because every time we pray, God shows up. God is present in our situation. And he starts changing our lives around, our perspectives around, our situations around. And we start seeing everything differently. And every time we ask, and every time we, we seek, and every time we knock, the door is open. And God is not grouchy and saying, you again? He's saying, I'm so glad to see you. I've been wanting to have this conversation with you. Come in. Find rest. Be with me. Be in a place of safety. Be in a place of refuge. It's a crazy world. There's rainstorms and thunderstorms or tornadoes and what else happening in your life. Come in. Experience my peace. Experience my goodness. He'll never say, come back again. He'll never say he's busy. He's never going to say, I'm ashamed of you. Go away. I don't want to, to be with you right now. Every time you seek, ask, and knock, God will give you himself as much as you need. Prayer is the provision for every need because it is in and through prayer that we receive God's presence. And that is the greatest gift that we can receive every single day, no matter what it is that you're going through. God's presence changes things. That's why we say pray. Not to go through a checklist. When the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, it wasn't to say, well, how can I do it so that I can look good among other people? Jesus is teaching them every time you pray, why Jesus has such great power is because the experience of God himself. And he's opening that door and showing us the way. And we today in the 21st century, it hasn't changed for you, but God is speaking to you directly. Prayer is the provision for every need because every time we pray, God shows up and he speaks. Let's pray. Father, we're just humbled to our knees that as people of God, we also know we're not worthy of your presence. But God, you have said in your word here today, that every time we ask and seek and knock, that you will answer, that we'll receive, and the door will be open for us. So Father, whatever it is that we're going through at this moment, maybe we're going through a lonely time, maybe we're going through times of depression, maybe we're going through times of struggle and uncertainty, and times of pain and suffering. Father, as a church, we are on our knees now, asking, seeking, and knocking for you to be present among us, for you to do what only you can do, that we can experience your presence every single day, no matter where we go, because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit and you reside in us. So Father, every day, may we hear your voice, may we seek you in prayer, may we come to see that prayer is the provision for every need, that for us, God, may we not provide, may we not be self-reliant, may we not we not depend our own strength, God, but may we rely on you and only what you can do. So, Lord, thank you for answering, even though you don't need to. Thank you, God, for being the Lord and the God that we need. And I pray, Lord, that this week as we pray, that you would show up in miraculous ways. And may we give you glory. And may we give you honor. And we make your name famous. 
thank you for being among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.